Amen. Thank you all. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 19. As we've been working through this, we've seen the kingdom of Christ of, of Christ advancing in the world. We've seen uh, the opposition that the enemy raised up through the Antichrist, the man of sin, the beast, uh, and the false prophet. We've seen in the last chapter that God is going to destroy all those things, and the time is coming when uh, we won't see this great institutionalized wickedness in any of its institutionalized forms. As we looked at chapter 18 last week, we saw the destruction of Babylon the Great. If you remember before that, in the chapters previous, we saw there the, this great harlot beast, riding on a beast rather, that was drunk with the blood of the saints. It had a chalice or a cup in her hand, uh, very clearly uh, referring to the continuation of wickedness beyond John's day. Um, generally understood to be the Holy Roman Empire along with the Roman Church and its corruptions, uh, its false gospel, its worship of idols. It's called the harlot, the, the, the whore of Babylon. That's an indelicate word, though we try not to use that much. Uh, but that's the same thing when we say the harlot. Um, because she had broken covenant with her God. That's what you know harlotry is. Uh, at least in the Bible, when uh, the covenant of marriage is not respected or honored. And uh, this we see in the, in the Church of Rome, which we have an epistle written to Rome in the New Testament, so we know Rome was a true church. And we know there's still remnants of it. We saw last week that God himself tells his people to come out from among them and be separate, as he says. He calls his people out of the harlot church. And so we need to recognize that there are true Christians even in the Roman church. And, you know, when someone says, oh, you're anti-Catholic, well, against the doctrines they stand for, of course. I'm anti-Mormon also, and I'm anti-Jehovah's Witness, and I'm anti-every false way, whether it's Christian science or New Age or anything that tries to exalt itself above Christ and denies the gospel. But we're not against the people that are held in slavery by those teachings. You know, we're Reformed Christians. Presbyterians, most of our history goes back to England and to Scotland. And if you go back a little bit before the Reformation, you find out those countries were absolutely under the heel of Rome. But they started reading their Bibles. It happened in Germany. It happened in the northern European countries. When people got a hold of God's word, God called his people out of the harlot church. Now, not everybody came but they were in it to begin with. And so this idea that, you know, because generally what the apologists for Rome will say is, oh, you people are so full of hate. No, we hate error. We hate those that oppose Christ, but we still pray for their salvation. We hate what they're doing. But we see this is this system is going to be destroyed. The whore of Babylon is going to be wiped out. You know, in chapter 17, the woman in chapter 18 uh, becomes a city. And we're told it's the city that rules in chapter 17, verse 18. It's that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, very clearly referring to Rome. It's going to be destroyed. Calling people out of a building that's ready to collapse is not an act of hatred. Telling them this thing is going to collapse, this thing is going to fall under God's judgment. You need to get out of it. You need to 
turn to God. You need to worship God according to his word, not according to what this institution that has claimed to be the only true church. You need to listen to what God himself has said and turn away from the idolatry and turn away from the wickedness. That's not an act of hatred. Like I say, if you tell someone if they're in a building soon to collapse, you call them out of it, you're being the best friend they've ever had. They might not like it because they're comfortable. Say, I've lived in this building my whole life, and so have my ancestors. This is our traditional place of living. It's like, yes, it's going to be destroyed. And by the way, the people who don't leave are destroyed. So we saw that in chapter 18. The merchants of the earth weep and lament. They see the smoke. In one hour, the city is destroyed. Like I said, it almost looks like a nuclear bomb goes off or something. We'll let God be the one that determines that. Bishop Newton, in his book um, on the prophecies written in the 1730s, he comments about so much of the soil around the area of Rome is uh, bitumous, that is, it has sulfur in it. And he said it could be an actual literal fulfillment is going to happen when the lake of fire is formed, maybe at that location. But uh, And he acknowledged he was being speculative, and it, it, this is a symbolic book. Okay, so we come then to chapter 19. So we've seen this lamentation and mourning. The merchants of the earth, they, you know, the sailors out on the ocean, they throw dust on their heads because they see the, the torment of the, of the uh, city that, that they were all getting rich from. They were all involved in it, in its traffic. And they've now lost their means of getting rich or staying rich. So they're crying and lamenting. But then the scene shifts. And this thing that's on earth in this, this harlot city being destroyed that held the people of the earth in utter thraldom. That's a big word for slavery. I had to look it up at one point years ago. Uh, it held them in utter thraldom as slaves spiritually to this whole system that if you don't do what they tell you, and follow their ceremonies and their sacraments, you'll go to hell. And held them in bondage, had them worshiping idols, calling upon every saint that ever lived, pretty much. Everybody except Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so what did the devil do? Oh, you don't, don't go to Jesus. He'll be angry. You need to go to his mama. Go to Mary. She's a lot nicer. And she'll talk to Jesus for you. Okay? And that's where the cult of Mary comes from, where you need to call on to the saints because they'll intercede for you. No, 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 beloved, that's, that's a form of idolatry. You need to call on Jesus Christ, the one true Lord Jesus Christ. That's where salvation comes. So the devil knows that, and that's why he throws all this saint worship and stuff before among Protestants and evangelicals. You know, we hear all this garbage about affirmation. You need to make an affirmation. You need to speak reality into existence. Well, that's funny, because that's what God does. That's not what we do. But the idea is that you don't need to pray. You just you need to speak abundance into your life. That's taught in some of these you know, apostate churches in our own community. And people are just, they, they lap it up like dogs, okay, going for after whatever dogs go after, okay? Because, wow, that's so great. So, yeah, because the devil will have you doing everything except calling upon God in prayer. Because he knows. You start talking to Jesus... The devil's plan is done, okay? Because Jesus is a real Savior. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And actually, the old King James, I love it, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord. You know, that old T-H-N-E, it's, it's, and we, we could say it in English, whosoever is calling would be a continuous idea in modern English. It means you keep calling. 
Because prayer is like breath for the Christian. And that's what defeats the enemy. Chapter 19, we see that while men on earth are lamenting, the saints in heaven are rejoicing. Look, Get a different perspective on all these world events. Everybody on earth is pulling their hair out and he's throwing dust in their heads, lamenting, crying. Oh, the great city has been destroyed. Chapter 19, after these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And that's what the Greek is also, beloved. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. They, they see what's going on in, in the courts of heaven. They, they look down. They see this great destruction of the harlot church. And they're praising God. They're not lamenting. They're not throwing dust on their heads. They're thanking Him. They're shy. Hallelujah. Remember, hallelujah. You know, they, I'm dangerous. They gave me a couple semesters. I actually had four semesters of Hebrew, and I studied it over the years. Very simple. Hallelujah. It means praise ye. It's an imperative, second person, plural, for those grammarians here. And it means y'all praise. And then Yah, shortened form or another form of the name Yahweh or Yehovah. Hallelujah. So the, the phrase Yah is used all through the Old Testament um, as a name for God. So Hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. Praise Yah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord, our God, our God. He owns it all. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And the fornication, that should be understood, is with her idolatry and unfaithfulness. And he has avenged, by the way, the immorality comes after that, once you fall into idolatry, once you turn your back on the Lord, immorality follows right uh, afterwards so that things do go together. Fornication is a good word to describe both spiritual and carnal unfaithfulness. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. So all the blood that was shed of the martyrs. Again, they said, or a second time, they said, Hallelujah, they're praising God. Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So see, they see this beginning of the lake of fire, I believe is what we're seeing start here. They see it and they praise God. They don't, again, they don't throw dust in and they don't lament. They're saying God is good because he's faithful and just. What's the term they use? True and righteous are his judgments. There's no darkness in his judgments. He judges according to truth. He's righteous in all his ways. And so they praise God that this harlot church has been destroyed. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. That's another Hebrew word. simply means true or truth. Amen. Or Amen if you're high church, I suppose. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. Or Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you who... Know where the voice came from. It came from the throne. God himself encourages his people to praise God. Then a voice came from the throne. So you can say, well, could that have been an angel by the throne? Possibly, but it comes from the throne is what it says. Praise our God, all you his servants. So again, well, that sounds like a creature speaking. Maybe so, but the point is, is that from the very throne of heaven, with God's approval, God's saints are encouraged to praise him. Beloved, that's your job. What are you supposed to do? Or as our uh, spiritual ancestor said a few centuries ago, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
That means enjoy him in the blessings, enjoy him in the judgments. You know, no chastening for the present seems to be uh, pleasant, but grievous, we're told. But afterwards, it bears the peaceable fruits of righteousness in those who are exercised thereby. So even when you're being chased, and that is when you have difficulties come into your life, whether physical ailments or difficulties with people or circumstances, you can praise God in the midst of that because good will come out of it. Not everything is good, but you know Romans 8.28, I hope. you know, All things, not most things, and not just the things you think, but all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So even your chastisements, even the difficulties, you can praise God. Now again, in the midst of chastisement, it's not easy to praise him. Once you get the idea and understand that, you know, this is from God, and he's not going to hurt me, whatever it is. He may call me out of this life if you, know, you have some kind of ailment or something. One of these days for all of us, if the Lord tarries, it will be something you know, we have an appointment. There's a day appointed when your spirit will leave your body. You're going to die. You can trust him up to that point. You can trust him when it happens. Because he's, Jesus has already gone before you. You've already, by believing in him, by give, having that gift of faith, you've already passed out of death into life. So what death is for the Christian is just stepping into the presence of God. Again, it's not always easy getting up to the door. It can hurt. But when you get to that door and go through it, the Lord himself will be the one that takes you through. So you don't need to be afraid. And so we can praise God. Here they're praising God. On the earth, everyone's lamenting. Oh, that is all those who are servants of the beast. Uh, they received his mark. But they're praising God. Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters. Now that's interesting because the harlot was seated upon many waters, and we were told there that uh, those waters are people and, and nations and tongues as language groups. But here we see a voice comes out, it's the sound of many waters, and I think it's because those nation groups had the veil lifted from their eyes, and they came to faith. Whoever this group is, they were the redeemed, clearly. I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thunderings, Thunderings get your attention. If you've ever been out, you know, sometimes we see the flash of lightning. Sometimes we don't see the lightning. You know, if you're indoors or something or you're occupied, you might not see it. But boy, when that thunder comes, men and creatures take note. And so the praises of God's church, they're like thunders. And what are they saying? The same thing that's being said before. Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Note that, the Lord God omnipotent. Uh, that word omnipotent means all-powerful, pantokrator in the Greek. And panto means all, same as omni in Latin and in English. And then potent, where we get the word, uh, that's really potent, it's really strong. He's all-powerful. Our God, the Lord God omnipotent. There's a good name to know God. By the way, in this chapter, there's a revelation of God we need to learn. See how he's revealed. He's revealed as holy and true and just and righteous in all his judgments. He's revealed as the one who is worthy of praise. I remember when I was in seminary, we started going through in our liturgics class. That's how you learn to set up worship services and how you're supposed to conduct yourself in public assemblies from the Bible. But one thing that was brought out, the English word worship 
actually etymologically is related to the words worth and ship. Worth ship. Now, not ship like on the sea, but meaning uh, a characteristic, you know. Um, so God is, the worship is worth-ship. We're declaring that God is worthy of worship. And that's what we see here, that when we know who God is, he is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of everything that we offer to him in praise according to his word. Note that, but for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. This is a thunderous voice of praise coming from God's people. And by the way, beloved, that's you. Okay, we're part of that. If you're trusting in Jesus, you might say, eh, I'm kind of flaky. We all are. So are all the saints in heaven. Okay, they were anyway. You know, so Christ came to redeem a bunch of flakes. All right, sinners, fallen in Adam, corrupted in their natures, hateful to God and to each other, apart from the restraining grace of God seen in <coughs> uh, family and in culture. We don't need to have too high of an opinion of ourselves. We can have a great high opinion of what God has done for us. And we don't need to go beating up ourselves, say, oh, I'm so unworthy, I dare not come to Jesus. That's foolishness there. That's wickedness. Okay? You need to see that you're sick and need a Savior and come to Jesus. And these ideas of self-worth need to be dismissed and say, you know, God is worthy. I'm going to trust Him. And you know, and then He works in you and He changes you. And he makes something beautiful out of something that was ugly. You know, Paul refers to us as the lump of clay. I don't know if you've looked at too many lumps of clay, but, you know, if you've ever seen a potter at the wheel, when he first throws that lump down, it kind of looks like something a cow left behind. All right? Not a pretty thing. Pardon my language there. Okay? But Paul says God takes a lump of clay and then he shapes it, talking to God's people here, into a vessel of honor. You know, you look at some of the beautiful vessels that have been made. Uh, you know, some of the vases that have... We, they, they actually have pottery from like the 5th century B.C. that has survived. In beautiful, unbroken condition. I'm like, oh, they didn't have kids, okay? That was my first thought. Uh, but they've had this pottery survive, and it's beautiful. Sometimes it has pagan you know, pictures on it or some of their mythology and stuff. But the, the work is absolutely beautiful. And those were set aside in homes for honoring different things. Sometimes they held water for washing. Remember the stone pots that, that where Jesus had them put water in it and turned it into wine? Well, other places they had ceramic pottery. And so so the, the potter, he's able to take a lump of clay and shape it into something beautiful. That's what God's doing in you. He's the potter. You're the clay. And he's making you to be a vessel of honor. But if the clay was to say, hey, you know, I was just such a special lump of mud. The Lord just couldn't stay away from me. Well, he could have. He did. It wasn't because you were so beautiful. It's because he knew what he was going to do with you. So he gets all the glory and praise. And if you say, but I think God's doing something beautiful in my life. Yes, he is. And in that sense, as part of God's redeemed as an image bearer, you are beautiful. In God's sight, at least. Some of us, you know, when we get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, well, Lord, I'm glad you see me in Christ, okay, because there ain't much going on here as the years go by. The Lord knows what he's doing. God's making something beautiful out of you. And so you give him all the glory and praise, okay? We hear stories about, you know, the frog that got a kiss and turned into a prince. Uh, girls don't use that as the standard for choosing mates, okay? Uh, not all frogs turn into princes. But the point is, 
we know that story. And it's it's nice because it's like, oh, this little ugly little frog. Frogs are cute, but, you know, not necessarily spouse material. But then this miracle happens in the story, and then now there's a prince. Well, that's what God does in you. That's what he did for these people that are here praising. That's what I'm talking about. It. This vast, huge multitude of people whose voice comes like the sound of many waters. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls or we have some waterfalls around here. I think pretty much everybody's visited. They're loud, okay? Niagara's really loud, and I've, I've been there, and it's awesome and terrifying in one sense, so you don't want to get too close, but it is really beautiful. This is a sound like that. It's this thundering sound of praise. Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. There's the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. And notice nobody's arguing about it. You don't hear anybody say, Hallelujah for man's free will. Doesn't come up in this discussion, does it? Hallelujah that we were so smart that we made our choice. And we chose Jesus. We did him a big favor. None of that comes up because that's all garbage. Okay? You made a choice for Jesus, and if you're a Christian, yes, you did make a choice for Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit inclined your heart to do so. So if somebody says, well, I chose Jesus, you don't need to argue with them. Yeah, of course you did. That's how you get saved. But why did you choose Jesus? It's because the Holy Spirit changed your heart. You heard the gospel, and the Holy Spirit wooed you to Jesus. You saw how beautiful Jesus is. The hope of salvation was held out for you, and it took root well, you'll appreciate the hook was set. Okay, the Holy Spirit's the one. You know, Jesus actually used that when he said, No man can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. Now, it wasn't with a fish line and hook, but when Peter dragged in the net of fishes after the resurrection when they were up on the Sea of Galilee, that word for drag, it's the same word that, used, that Jesus used when he said, No man can come to me except the Father who has sent me draw him. Same word used of those fishes when Peter dragged them to shore. Now, they weren't willing. The way God works in us is he makes us willing. He makes us willing to worship. He makes us willing to praise. Look at this, the celebration in heaven because of God's judgments. Now, we can celebrate and praise God for the work of salvation, and we ought to. But we need to also recognize when God strikes the wicked and takes them away, that's reason to praise. You know, I don't know anybody, maybe some blooming idiot somewhere out in the desert, but it, I don't know anybody that was upset over the fact that Nazi Germany fell, okay? I don't know anybody in their right mind. There are people that are still communists, but when the Soviet Union imploded and changed, hopefully, okay, at least outwardly, I think they did, and uh, hopefully inwardly. They seem to have a, a love of things there that they are good, um, and they're not really our, they shouldn't, we shouldn't look on any man as our enemy, okay? There are political systems that we need to be aware of. But the point is, is that nobody laments, oh, communism fell. Maybe some college professor somewhere that teaches political science to some um, uneducated young people. But nobody laments the fall of the Nazis. We praise God for that. Thank you, Lord, that you swept away that evil thing. I've mentioned before, you know, I enjoy sometimes watching movies that were made either right before World War II or during it when the Nazis were in power. I don't like anything about those guys, okay, let me tell you that. But when they show, like, you know, it's a contemporary movie from that period, and they show the guys walking through the hallways and everything, you know, all marble and all the SS guards are in there, beautiful. They were, in the time, considered to be that way. Now we look at it as evil. A black widow spider is beautiful, by the way. So is a rattlesnake. There's a lot of beauty there, but we know what it is, okay? But if you didn't know what it was, you might go, oh, that's kind of cute. 
But I mean, they're standing there. They think they're looking good. And they go in and everything's in order. The Nazis are totally in control of everything. I told my wife, I said, I enjoy these kind of movies. She said, what? I thought you hate it. I said, oh, I do hate it. I said, because I know when I watched this, it's been about five years that was gone off the face of the earth, lying in rubble. God destroyed them, and he took them away. And their leaders were held accountable for what they had done. At least most of them were. And it was done. Again, there's still idiots running around trying to promote that, but it's such a—it's more like ants at a picnic, okay? The point is, when God sweeps away evil, we ought to be rejoicing. When we see institutions that promote abortion, when we see governments that defend it, they're going to be swept away if they don't repent. And we ought to rejoice. I love my country, but we are so far under the judgment of God, it's, it's nothing to joke about. God is judging the United States of America because of its sins of allowing the murder of over 65 million people, little babies butchered in their mother's wombs, ought to be the safest place a person could ever be. And we've allowed wicked people for money to go in and murder babies. God sees that. He hears the cries of those little ones when they're murdered and cut to pieces. God hears their cries. We trust that by God's mercies in Christ that they're received into his presence graciously uh, and that they're with the Lord now. But the point is, is that God judges the wicked. He sweeps away wicked. We see this about the whore of Babylon being destroyed, the great harlot church in the city. We see this institution in all of its forms. And it goes beyond Rome, by the way, as I've mentioned plenty of times before. We see God sweeps them away. And we shouldn't get too haughty because if we look at our own nation, you know, you could take some of this stuff and say, could I be talking about the United States? Well, Washington's not built on seven hills as far as I know. Somebody might come along and say, well, yeah, actually it is, but I don't know that. But the point is, is that remember when we've gone through judges, and we've gone through the history of Israel in our Tuesday night Bible studies. If you remember, I've said it plenty of times. You act like the Canaanites, what happens? You get treated like the Canaanites. We saw that when Israel apostatized, they were destroyed. The United States, when it apostatizes and is apostatizing, unless there is repentance, God will destroy it. This country won't exist in the future if there's not repentance. And I love my country, and I'm sad to say this. But God is judge. Here we see when that happens, well, God's not going to abandon his people. There's good things coming. Note what they say. They say, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. But it goes on. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready. <coughs> the harlot church sat out on the beast saying, hey, I'm, look at me. I'm rich. I'm, I'm no widow. I, you know, she, she thought she was married to the lamb, a false church. She claims to be his true church. She wasn't. She was a harlot. She worshiped idols. Prayed to everybody but the Lord. But here we see the true church is protected. The, the, the true bride has made herself ready. The harlot's been dealt with. And to her, that is the true church, was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. And then it says, for the fine linen of the New King James says, is the righteous acts of the saints. The Greek is just the word righteousness pluralized. It's the righteousnesses of the saints. The Old King James just has it singular. Righteous acts points to their works. God does bring forth good works in the lives of the saints. But I don't notice it was given to her 
to be arrayed, it was granted or given to her to be arrayed in fine linen. So this isn't something she did, this is something given to her. And when the word there is, it is the righteousnesses of the saints, that is the fine linen, I believe that that's a reference to the multifaceted righteousness of Christ. He's the only righteousness we want to be clothed in. Paul mentions this also. That I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is according to the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I believe. So I think that could be translated better there. And I don't generally, as you know, like to correct the Bible uh, or the translation that we're reading, but I will correct it here. I think they could have done better. They didn't revise the King James there. They entered, They put in a new thought that, that wasn't there. And I don't think the original bears it out. So that's... It should be the righteousnesses of the saints, okay? Other than that, the New King James is a great translation. You can believe it. Um, and some say, well, couldn't it be translated the righteous? Yes, it could. So we're not going to say it's a wrong translation. I just don't think it's the best, okay? Um, so here they see this. But the, the bride is clothed in this beautiful garment. She's the true church. She's been washed in the blood. And so she's given the, the righteousnesses of the saints. That is what belongs to them. It's given to her. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's coming up in the next chapter, by the way. Um, uh, and he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And then John, he's overwhelmed by this. And he says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, see that you do that. Don't do that. Do not do that. The angels speak. John is overwhelmed by all the things he's just seen. The worship of heaven, the thunderous noise of praise. The bride of Christ being declared, she's made herself ready. The heart of the church has been swept away. The true church now comes into the form. She's no longer hiding in the wilderness. She's now present, and she's going to prosper. The wicked have been swept away, at least by and large. We see there's still, once the city's destroyed, the armies of the beast are still out in the field. That's how this chapter ends. And so John is overwhelmed, so he falls down at the feet of the angel. He says, to worship him. And he said to me, see that you don't do that. See that you do not do that. Or that you, yeah, do not do that. He's saying, don't. Look to it. Whoa, stop. Okay, he puts a halt to it. And then he tells him, he says, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. There you go. There's something Rome should have remembered and we need to remember also. So me running around, you know, you're probably not going to be praying to Mary later today. I hope not. Okay. Don't fall on the idea that, well, if I speak it, I'll speak prosperity. I'll speak health. Shut up. Okay? Don't be saying those kinds of things. That's blasphemous. God is the one that speaks prosperity. He's the one that speaks. Granted, you can speak encouraging words, but if you think you're going to run around and start creating stuff with your voice, you're crazy. Okay? And I'm defining that from the Bible. Okay? Because the New Age people do that without any reference to God. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It's not your affirmation. Granted, you want to think positive thoughts, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are noble, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Think on these things. You feel like you need prosperity? Pray to the Lord God Omnipotent. Okay? You need help? Pray to the Lord God Omnipotent. All right? Call on the Lord. That's how things change. So... Like I say, very little chance of you falling into gross idolatry. I hope you don't have statues at home that you're praying to or pictures of Jesus that you're bowing to. Actually, pictures of somebody's imagination of what Jesus looks like because there's no pictures of Jesus, actually. 
It's just coming. Somebody's imagination. You know what the root of the word imagination is? Image. And the word imagio is a Latin word for idolatry. Okay, an idol. So stay away from this. Like I say, very little danger that's going to happen. But some of this New Age stuff comes into a lot of evangelical churches. And you see it even in some of the literature. It's like, well, we need to affirm prosperity or we need to affirm whatever it is. Okay, Now you need to pray. You need to talk to God through Jesus Christ. All right, That's how things change. So John here, he starts to fall at the feet of the angel. He's overwhelmed. This is an apostle. So here we have an apostle. This guy was with Jesus all through his ministry. He was at the cross. He saw Jesus when he was risen from the dead. He watched Jesus go back into heaven. And he falls down at the feet of an angel to worship him. That's what he says. I fell at his feet to worship him. So... You know, we shouldn't be thinking like, well, only a fool would do that. Beloved, you can get suckered into false religion way quicker than you realize. All right? That's why usually false religions and cults have really fancy ceremonies or something that, you know, look at Rome. All the people talk, oh, there's, there's, there, the, the mass is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, outwardly it appeals to the flesh. Hollywood loves it because you can film what they're doing. It's kind of hard to film spiritual worship. That's why Protestants are generally not shown unless it's an old west church where they're sitting there waiting for the marshal to come tell them what to do or something like that but you can't really film true worship because it's not carnal it takes place in your heart okay you can sing you hear people singing and things like that but my point is idolatry is easy to fall into and so we need to be praying say lord keep us from all the forms of idolatry that there are making idols out of sticks and stones and of other people And what do we, you know, what do we call Hollywood people? So they, oh, he's a movie star. What? Idol. <laughs> Interesting, huh? We start looking at the, ooh, it's kind of scary. Yeah, because I've been around enough Hollywood people, not a whole lot, but just a few brushed up against some of that stuff. And man, it's dangerous to be so famous that people won't tell you anything that's true. They just tell you what they think you want to hear, okay? And so it's, it's sad. Don't fall into idolatry of yourself. Well, I have to be true to myself. No, you need to be true to Jesus. I have to do what my heart tells me. Well, you're going to probably go to hell if you do that. You need to be true to Christ. You know, you need to be sold out to Jesus. We don't see much of that going on. I don't see a lot of that, you know. Uh, I don't see a lot like me like where it should be. I sometimes think back, wow, Lord, I feel like I've just kind of not really been sold out to you like I once was. I think I was anyway. And so, Lord, work in me. Cause me to really be dedicated to you. Stir me up. Help me. Well, John fell at his feet to worship him, and he said, don't do it. Worship God. Then he tells him, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And it's like, what does that mean? Well, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If someone claims to be worshiping God or speaking on his behalf, he needs to be talking about Jesus Christ as him come in the flesh. John, the apostle that wrote this, also wrote 1 John, and he identifies the spirit of Antichrist as those who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. He says you can tell if the Holy Spirit's at work because they'll be talking about Jesus come in the flesh. That has to do with his incarnation, his work, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his session right now as our high priest at the Father's right hand, and his coming again in glory on the last day. It's about Jesus. And so that's what the angel tells him. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So worship God. 
And tell people about Christ. You know, a prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. That's why, you know, the Scots refer to preaching as prophesying. They don't mean like, you know, oh, let's say it the Lord and make stuff up in your mind. Preaching is prophesying. I'm prophesying if I'm preaching the word. You are, if you're sharing scripture with someone, if you're speaking what God has said, if you're speaking on his behalf. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If the Holy Spirit is in your life, you're going to want to talk about Jesus. Jesus, remember, I've said it plenty of times before, Jesus, our Lord, told us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can tell what's in your heart by what's coming out of your mouth. So if you've got a bunch of garbage coming out of your mouth, you've got a problem with your heart. Okay? If the love of God and the word of God is in your heart, and Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll ask whatever you want and it will be granted you. If the word of God is abiding in you because you love Jesus, it's going to come out of your mouth. That means you're going to be speaking about Christ because you love him. And so if you say, I don't really witness to anybody, I don't really do that. Well, read the Bible. Get to know God. Okay? Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Pray. Ask God to put his word within you and to stir you up. That he would increase your love for Jesus. And by through Jesus, through God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, we're going to save the rest of this verse for next week, right? Because it's too good not to focus on it. I'd have to rush through it right now if I went there. So there's some really good stuff coming. But what we see where the world is lamenting, the saints are rejoicing. And we live in a world that's so anxious and worried. You know, sometimes I just quit turning on the news, you know. Get tired of hearing all the stuff that's going on. We got an election coming up next year, and so everybody's throwing mud at everybody else. All kinds of things are happening. It gets old. It's like, man, I want to hear about Jesus, you know. So, you know, by the way, if on your phones and computers, get some Bible apps, and you know, if you're on Facebook, make friends with people that quote Scripture. Okay. So at least if you know if you're checking, well, I wonder what's going on here. At least you have some the Bible talking to you. Okay, God speaking to you through His Word. Make friends with people that fear God, that love Him, whether in your personal life or online or whatever you're doing. You know, put the Lord first in every area. And if you can't do that, then you need to get rid of some stuff out of your life. Okay, if you're using your computers and stuff for filthy pictures and things like that, then you need to consider getting rid of that garbage. Okay. Because idolatry shows up in all kinds of different forms, all right? So ask God to make you faithful. But the point is, is that get the word of God in your heart, okay? Because we live in a world that is just given over anxiety and sorrow and lamentation. And, oh, God, you know, they don't say God's, oh, global warming, the sky is falling. Oh, it's going to be horrible. You know, you go back and look at all the old predictions about the, you know, right now, According to some of them, we should be should be living under about 20 feet of water where we are right now because the ice caps are going to melt and all the other stuff. There's things going on. God does judge the wicked. And yeah, it does affect the weather. But the point is, is that we don't need to be afraid. Get your heart filled with the Word of God, His promises. Because God's doing something beautiful in your life through Jesus Christ, and it's to glorify Him. So get focused on who you really are, okay, in Jesus Christ. And if you're having trouble doing that, or even if you're not having trouble doing that, pray. Call upon the Lord. Ask Him to make you what He wants you to be. But be wise when you do that. He may have to deal with you in ways you're not expecting.
So recognize he might take some things out of your life that you're not ready necessarily to have taken out. But it's going to be good. The Lord may wound, but he also heals. And when he wounds, it's surgical and it's what we needed. Give him all the glory and praise. Why? For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. He's our God. He's in control. When the world's sorrowing, we should be rejoicing. If the world's rejoicing, we should probably be put on caution because they're probably rejoicing for the wrong reasons. May God fill your hearts with the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless us now and be with us. We ask you, Lord God, to help us to join that heavenly choir. And Lord, as John saw your church praising you, Lord, in a very real way, because we're seated in the heavenlies in Christ even now, according to your word in Ephesians chapter 2. Lord, that is us singing your praises that John heard. So help us, Lord, to lift our hearts in praise to you in song, in worship, in adoration, and fill our hearts and minds with your holy word, the scriptures, so that we would know you as you are truly revealed. And be glorified in us, Lord, in spite of our failures, in spite of our sins. Lord, may your grace through Jesus Christ given to us be glorified. May you be glorified through your work. And we give you all the praise and thanks in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And now we have opportunity, I believe, to praise God.